Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I used to think that this was my town. What a stupid thing to think. I hear you biting off a brain now. I myself am on the brain. I used to want to be a real man. Hello, Three Swings listeners. Rhea Butcher, your host. I've always been the host, and I'll always be the most. I, I've always wanted to have a radio show, as you can tell, and sometimes I just say things that seem like they would sound good. When you make a podcast, you listen to yourself in the headphones, so it's kind of like you get to listen to the show at the same time. <sighs> anyway, you guys also need a nickname, and somebody suggested Swingers. I talked about this with my guest later, so you, you'll get a, a double dose of the of the same exact joke, which I feel like if you're a fan of me, you're already a fan of that. So I don't think I'm being silly here. Uh, I don't think we could call everybody swingers. So if you want to tweet at me some ideas for nicknames for three swings listeners, um, threebies, ah, that sounds good to me. That one I just came up with. Um, anyway, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our last episode with, uh, a very special guest, my wife, Cameron Esposito. That was a fun time talking to her. Um, we are excited about the season. I'm also excited about this episode because we're going to get into some very scientific statistics that I ran yesterday via Twitter poll. Um, so we'll get into that because I thought I was going to have a draft um, Sunday night and then one Monday night and neither happened. So <laughs> I got a little extra time to stay stressed about the fact that I'm probably not going to be able to draft Trout or Altuve. But what are you going to do? I didn't draft Trout or Altuve last year, and I won. So it's not all about the draft. But I am going to obsess about it until it happens because that's kind of my personality. Shout out to my homies with the same personality. It's stressful. Anyway, the couple things I wanted to talk about in the intro are some of them not baseball related and not even baseball adjacent. But <laughs> I feel like there's some overlap uh, in listenership. And uh, I just want to talk about these things. And this is my podcast, so I get to do whatever I want. I've been listening to this other podcast that is not my own called Cocaine and Rhinestones, which I really, really like about uh, like stories, deep dives into country music, um, whether it's about performers specifically or a song or, uh, you know, an album or a performance. Um, it's just really well researched. I'm very jealous of the amount of research that he's able to do per episode. Oh my God. I'm just like, man, I wish that's what I want to do. But, you know, that takes time. And I didn't get a degree in library science at all. 
I got a degree in printmaking, which doesn't help you research anything at all, except for ink prices. But I really love the show, and something he says, the host, uh, Tyler Emco, now I can't remember his name, middle name, he says it on every episode, and I haven't memorized it yet. I think it's Tyler Mahanco. I think I got it. Uh, he just tells someone, if you could just tell one person about this show, that'll help me out a lot. So... I'm telling at least one person about this show via my podcast. And so if you could do the same for us, for Three Swings, that'd be real great. Then more people will listen to the show. Um, I really love the episodes. I will say, just a heads up, there's some language on there that might be, uh, you know, you might find it triggering or upsetting. And so you just got to go in with the mindset of that. Um, It's not used against anyone, but more describing uh, the time and the things that happen. So if that's not for you, then that's not for you. But I wanted to let you know. I do enjoy the podcast um, and the stories that it's told. Specifically, the episode, I haven't finished the entire season, but I really liked uh, uh, the episode about Bobby Gentry and the episode about Loretta Lynn's The Pill, where I thought just some tremendous pieces of audio. Check those two out. Um, So yeah, Cocaine and Rhinestones. And then I was mentioning that uh, I was playing baseball. I did play a scrimmage the other day with my baseball league that's still trying to find a field. So if you're in Los Angeles and you own a baseball field, hit me up. We can't find anywhere to play. It's a very difficult thing to find a b- baseball field. <laughs> There's like lots of them, but a lot of them are locked up. So anyway, um, if you have a field, let me know. If you got a baseball field in your backyard. We'd love to play on it. We'll take care of it, I promise. Um, I, I did go 0 for 4. We always have batting practice up top because people, you know, sort of slowly wander in to play a scrimmage and then just all of a sudden you have enough people for a game. And like batting practice, I am just like hitting them up the middle. Perfect hits. Bang, bang, bang. And then as soon as it's the game, I just cannot get in the right rhythm and I just cannot hit right now. But I did play first base for literally the first time in my entire life, basically. I think the first time I ever played baseball with my baseball team, they popped me at first and I was like, I can't, I, I've literally never played first. I'm not my first because I tried to catch the ball and the sun was right in my eye line and I was like, I can't, dude, I can't play first. Put me at third. And then that's how I started playing third all the time. Uh, but I did play first the other day and it was a lot of fun. Uh, shout out to the people who commented on all the photos of me with a first baseman's glove with a uh, batting glove underneath and the finger sticking out. It was the first inning that I did it. Like I said, I've never played first base before. I immediately put my finger back into the glove and I have to wear a batting glove because my hands are small. And that was like a large man's glove that I was borrowing. So I just needed the glove. I understand it's uh, not pristine, but whatever. You got to do what you got to do. I played a pretty good first. Maybe I'll play first now. Who knows? Uh, Somebody did. I posted a photo of myself with a first baseman's glove and somebody was like, oh my God, I thought you were a third baseman, like very stressed out. <laughs> and I was like, this isn't the major leagues. I'm not like, you know, Nolan Arenado. I'm not a third base person. Um, but at the same time, I'll always be a third base person. So in some ways you're right. So that was fun. Uh, I got to get some hits though. It's not, it's, oh my God, it sucks to strike out and it sucks even more to pop out. So you understand. Um, and then I, some baseball stuff coming up, but I did want to mention... I watched a little bit of the NCAA men's uh, basketball. And yes, it is a D- NCAA men's basketball that I watched. Um, I watched the Xavier Florida State game, which, holy shit, <laughs> that game is the reason why I stopped watching basketball because fouls that are just straight up not fouls that you can see somebody, the ref is calling because of some like weird, like, 
roundabout way of trying to even the playing field is like, I just can't stand it. So like that was a frustrating game to watch. Um, and then also just like shout out to UMBC for taking down the, the number one seed in the first round and being like kind of a school that I relate to. I feel like the university of Akron would be the same kind of a thing if they took down a number one. Um, and their Twitter did acknowledge the fact that they weren't the first team to do that. Um, the Harvard women's basketball team was the first team to do that in, uh, 1998. And so, uh, they were corrected by Harvard women, women's basketball. And then we're very gracious about saying like, yes, that's right. Game, game, acknowledge game or whatever game, recognize game. That's the right word. I sound like an old person. I'm sure. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a grandpa sometimes. Um, but then it, like a bunch of people started talking about that on the internet, um, which is a scientific source. You all understand. Um, and at the same time, this conversation was happening about UConn women's basketball, who had a blowout of like 88 points, like won their first game by 88 points. And then all these articles pop up, which pop up every year. Is UConn bad for women's basketball or UConn is bad for women's basketball? And I just don't understand how we can always have the, these same conversations where it's like, Nobody watches women's basketball. Well, that's not true because clearly people do. Number two, well, the women aren't good enough and they don't count. Okay, well, they're not. They're definitely good. They play basketball. They absolutely count because they're there. And they a, a, a number 16 seed already beat a number one seed in the women's tournament before they did it in the men's. So doesn't that, if you're just looking at that on paper, then that means they did it first. And if you're going to say, well, it's women's, that's not an argument. It's still basketball, and it's still a statistic of the number 16 team beating the number one team. It is irrelevant what their gender is. It already happened. And so UMBC is the second team to have done it. You can't have it. You can't have it both ways. You know, you just can't. Um, and then the argument that UConn women's basketball is bad for women's basketball you can't say out of one breath, oh, well, women's basketball is boring. And then there's a team that's like just tremendously good at basketball and say, oh, well, they're bad for women's basketball because they're too good. Okay, well, where is the, there's no middle ground, none whatsoever. And also UConn women's basketball was upset last year. Uh, so like they're actually good for women's basketball because you have to be better to beat them. And so it's actually going to raise the bar across the, this is how all change happens. And I would argue that like it happens more disparate, like in in uh further the goalposts are further away in women's basketball because the amount of money that's funneled into these programs is so off the charts in so many different places. Different schools are getting different amounts of money. It's not like across the board, you know. Uh, and women's sports are funded a lot less than men's sports are. So there's a bit of a like you know. The, the bar is set way higher for women, whereas it's set very low for men. And you might be like, that's not true. Just think about it for a second. Just actually think about it. And every time you look at this stuff, like stats, women's basketball, men's basketball, just say that to yourself. The bar is set way higher for women and the bar is set way lower for men. Just say that to yourself for like a week. And then let me know if you've changed your mind at all. Because I did that myself. And I changed my own mind about the whole thing. So I just wanted to talk about that. I know that's not baseball, but it's kind of related to what I'm usually talking about on here. And um, watch some women's basketball. It's not super accessible, which, uh, you know, I'll get into it with my guests. You can't 
not play women's basketball on television and then say, oh, nobody watches it. Well, they can't watch it because it's not playing anywhere. So if you played it somewhere, we could watch it and then we would be into it. And then you'd have to admit that we're into it. So uh, watch some women's basketball. I think you can check it out on NCAA.com or somewhere on the internet. So watch that, support that. Um, Women's basketball rules. I think. I like it better than men's basketball. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> There's something that things that men do better than women, but it's a, it's not a lot of things. I'm just kidding. We are all equal beings. <laughs> so moving on to some baseball thoughts, and then we'll get into Rhea's totally scientific player poll after this. Um, I mentioned on the last episode that I thought Jose Altuve seemed to not be happy about being at the White House. And that was my bad. That was an imp- interpretation of someone's facial expressions that I don't know personally. And I think I went too far down the road. Um, and hey, sometimes you need to do that to to relearn some things. His expression was that he was really excited to be there and overwhelmed with the situation, which was being at the White House with the president. And that was his reaction. So... It's a good reminder that just because someone is nice and has a positive outlook and uh, whatever other combination of things doesn't necessarily mean they agree with us on everything. <laughs> and um, perhaps it is correct to look at the players that did not go versus the players that did go. Um, and I will keep that in mind moving forward. Um, more shout outs to Carlos Correa and to, uh, Carlos Beltran for not going to the White House um, because I think it's important and valuable. Um, So great. We'll be back after this with my very first totally scientific player poll. I've heard enough of the white man's blues. I've sang enough about myself. So if you're looking for some bad news, you can find it somewhere. All right, welcome back to another new segment, Rhea's Totally Scientific Player Poll, for draft purposes only. <laughs> I wanted to see what people thought, like, who they would pick for per position for a fantasy draft, because I am now in three leagues. I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's going to be a fun summer. I consider it to be, like, research for work, because this podcast is work. <laughs> it's a thin premise, but thin means there's something there, so... I agree. Um, I used MLB's top 10 right now for each position and used the top four per position. And I put up a six hour poll on Sunday of this week on my Twitter, asking everyone who they would draft first per position. And then from there, I took the top four vote getters of all positions. So the highest percentage of votes per position and the top four of those then went to see who you would draft first overall if you had the first pick in a fantasy draft. So let's get into it, and I'll give you some thoughts. I also realized, please let me know on Twitter, I've just been kind of generally talking about players with the assumption that people know who they are and things about them. And um, if you like that, let me know. But if you would prefer that I mention perhaps their position that they play or, uh, you know, that they are right-handed or left-handed, or if I mention their uh, batting average or I'm not going to get super deep into stats because I don't know that anybody wants to hear that. 
constantly over and over again. Um, but if you would like for me to mention, you know, other oh, the DH or whatever, because um, I realized in my rundowns of free agents, I wasn't saying like JD Martinez, center fielder, or <laughs> Jake Arrieta, starting pitcher. So I feel like that might be helpful. So let me know on Twitter. Um, and follow us on Twitter. It's at Three Swings Pod, and that's also our Instagram handle. So go on there and let me know, and I can make that adjustment. It might not happen right away, but I'll give it a shot. Okay, so moving into the draft poll, I started, I, I did it by position in the order of position. Um, and if you're unaware and new to baseball, or you just didn't care to find out, which is totally valid, valid, which is a totally valid thing. Um, each position is numbered for box scoring purposes and for ease of description of plays. So uh, pitcher is one, catcher is two, first base is three, second base is four. Is it getting confusing yet? I thought so. Third base is five, shortstop is six, left field is seven, center field is eight, right field is nine. So I went in that order with relievers and closers coming last after the main positions. Not because they're last but not least, (laughs) but they do tend to come in last, you know, so... I felt like it worked out. Um, also, a lot of confused people with my Instagram when I said I played a little three wearing a first base glove. Oh, I had to correct some people. I apologize. That was my bad. I should have just said play a little first base. Would have been a lot less confusing. So the top four pitchers uh, on my poll were Clayton Kershaw, Corey Kluber, Chris Sale, and Max Scherzer. Hey, I pronounced it right the first time. For whatever reason, that's difficult for my Northeastern Ohio dialect to do. I'm usually sounding like I'm brushing my teeth. Max, it's very difficult for me, but I got it. I concentrated and I did it and I had follow through and I kept my head down and my eye on the ball, kept my shoulder up and I knocked it out of the park. And that is the order that they are in on MLB's top 10 pitchers right now. So the top vote getter with... 285 votes is Clayton Kershaw at 52%. Following him is Max Scherzer at 22%, Corey Kluber at 14%, Chris Sale at 12%. Um, I tend to agree with this. However, I actually think that my, out of these four pitchers, if I were to draft one of these four pitchers, I think I would actually go with Scherzer or Chris Sale. But this is based on my, I believe, understanding of potential injury. That's my biggest concern with Clayton Kershaw and Corey Kluber, is they both have back problems. And Max Scherzer had some issues last season as well. So I feel like maybe Chris Sale is who I would go for. And you're also looking at, like, if you're doing head-to-head fantasy draft, then you're looking at weekly stats. You're not really looking at who's going to have a Cy Young year necessarily. And Chris Sale had way more strikeouts than Corey Kluber. So, anyway, Clayton Kershaw is the winner with 52%. I do also believe in Clayton Kershaw having, like, a career year, uh, having come off, like, losing the World Series. I feel like he has a potential for that sort of, like, mental game to really kick into gear even more because he's definitely one of those pitchers who just gets locked in and definitely... He looks like a guy who has a hill to climb. You know, he's one of those guys, so... Barring injury, I do think he's a solid pick, but I don't know that I would pick him first necessarily. Um, so then we move on to catcher, and that position got 273 votes overall. Um, and the pitchers or and the catchers line up like this: Buster Posey, Gary Sanchez, Wilson Contreras, 
Yasmani Grandal. And they go in that exact order with Buster Posey with 36%, Gary Sanchez with 35, very close. Uh, Wilson Contreras with 19 and Yasmani with 10. Uh, very interesting that Yasmani is still making the top 10 or the top four catchers for the MLB, given that he literally didn't play in the World Series at all, which I don't think was a great call last year, but we'll see. And he was also on the trading block because the Dodgers have, what, 17 catchers that they could go to? Austin Barnes, Kyle Farmer, Yasmani Grandal, and then a bunch of other dudes whose names I don't remember. Um, so Buster Posey wins that one. I mean, I feel like if I was going to pick one, I would go with Wilson Contreras. As much as I, you know me, Hey, Chicago Cubs fans, I would pick your catcher. Whatever. Moving on to first base. First base got 270 votes, and you have this order for first baseman. Joey Votto, Freddie Freeman, Paul Goldschmidt, Anthony Rizzo. And the order of them is Joey Votto getting 32%, Anthony Rizzo and Paul Goldschmidt getting 29%, and Freddie Freeman getting an abysmal 9%. Are you guys, what's up with you guys with that Freddie Freeman number? He's going to have a bounce back here. He was hurt last year. So if everybody thinks 9% of Freddie Freeman, I should be able to get him for a good discount. Although I am going to try for Joey Votto because I think I'm like in the fourth or fifth round or fifth position in my draft. So I feel like that's who I'm going to get in terms of, uh, you know, MVP status draft picks. Moving on to second base. I feel like if you're a fan of baseball, you probably know who's going to win this position. Uh, second base got 269 votes. We've got Jose Altuve, Robinson Cano, Brian Dozier, and Daniel Murphy. <laughs> not my favorite dude. He was also not your favorite dude. Jose Altuve gets 79% of the vote. Robinson Cano gets 10%. Brian Dozier gets 7%. And Daniel Murphy comes in with 4%. I agree 100% with this order. That's exactly the order in which I would draft second baseman. I would also slot Jose Ramirez in there or Jason Kipnis. He's been hitting a lot of home runs, but I have a sneaky second baseman, which I almost feel like I don't want to share with you guys, but it is a tricky good one that not everybody is going to draft or pick up. Scooter Jeanette. <laughs> that guy helped me out a lot last year, and it's not I didn't even have him for the four grand sl- four home run game or five four home run game, um, but he hits, so a good look check him out moving on to five to third base with 291 votes hot corner very popular with all all of you we've got chris bryant nolan arenado josh donaldson and justin turner and the voting came in this way nolan arenado with 39 percent chris bryant with 32 josh donaldson with 15 and justin turner with 14 i mean i agree although i would take justin turner second before Chris Bryant or Josh Donaldson. Chris Bryant has a tendency to start a little slow. So I know he's like a good pick and he hits well, but straight up every time I watch him play, I just don't see him do anything. But maybe that's just the amount of games that I see him play. He's obviously, an you know, he's a Hall of Famer for sure. I'm not saying that, oh, he sucks or anything like that. I'm just saying in terms of like uh, repetitive hitting, he's not... Every time I watch him, he strikes out, which is weird. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I've got that kind of a power over the guy. You never know. Now, moving on to shortstop with 283 votes, we've got Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, Francisco Lindor, and Treya Turner. Treya Turner was also hurt last season, so 
he's kind of not on everybody's radar necessarily. And I mean, it's a hotly contested position. There's so many good shortstops out there right now. And lots of them, lots of third basemen moving in. I mean, Manny Machado definitely should have been the fourth on this list, I feel like, in terms of just production. Um, and they're this is not just like fantasy waiting. This is defensive statistics as well. So I feel like Manny Machado absolutely should have been four on this list. And so there you go. Oh, he didn't play shortstop. He's moving into shortstop. That's why he should have been on the third base list. My bad. Sometimes you forget things because you get so used to what they're going to be. So the vote for shortstop was very, very tight. And I couldn't understand how to look at the actual number of votes per poll option. So Francisco Lindor wins the vote with 34%, despite the fact that Carlos Correa also got 34%. So he got more votes, but the percentage is still the same. And I couldn't figure out by how many. And this is essentially true in it's, this is very funny that this happened in my totally scientific online Twitter poll that Carlos Correa and Francisco Lindor were essentially tied because they're essentially tied in every other ranking of shortstops, which is really fascinating um, because they each have like almost mirrored blind spots and then mirrored uh, uh, power spots. It's, it's fascinating. And they're, they have like a Carlos Correa is like a foot taller than Francisco Lindor. But what's interesting is I think Francisco will stay at shortstop and Carlos will probably be moved to another position because he's just, too huge to stay at shortstop for the entirety of his career, but he's incredibly young. So that won't be for, I don't know, eight years or something like that, but he has just unremarkable power at that position um, at the plate. Francisco Lindor has completely retooled his swing and went from 12 home runs in 2016 to 33 in 2017, which is just absolutely bonkers. Um, So I think, these are great picks. I would absolutely be happy with literally any four of these guys on my draft. So great job, everyone. Um, and then moving into the outfield, left field, we've got 232 votes. We've got Marcel, Ozuna, Jonas Cespedes, Justin Upton, and Ryan Braun. And they go in that order. Marcel Ozuna with 37%, Cespedes with 36 Upton with 19 and Ryan Braun with 8 Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Sure. Sounds good. I don't have any qualms with this one. Let's move on to center field. We've got 241 votes. We've got Mike Trout, Tommy Pham, Charlie Blackman, and George Springer. Mike Trout gets 78% of the vote. Tommy Pham with five, Charlie Blackman with nine, and George Springer with eight. Honestly, would be happy with any of these guys. Obviously, Mike Trout is uh, one of those once-in-a-lifetime type players, and everybody loves him. So, (laughs) of course, he's going to get 78%. We'll move right on to right field with 310 votes. The most popular position on my totally scientific poll We've got Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. That's weird. They're on the same team. Hmm. That's funny that they're in the same position and top four. Anyway, uh, Mookie Betts and Bryce Harper. And it goes Giancarlo Stanton with 30%, Aaron Judge with, or sorry, Bryce Harper with 25%, Aaron Judge with 24%, and Mookie Betts with 21%. I I tend to agree with that. Aaron Judge strikes out a lot, but we'll see if he does that again this season. <laughs> I mean, he struck out, I think, for the entire month of August. So. That was an interesting ride, for sure, because uh, I had picked him up in April, which was interesting, and he definitely carried me a lot of months in my fantasy season last year, and then he just sat on a bench for for a good month, just a good solid month. I did not put that man on, on my lineup whatsoever. So same with Bryce Harper. If he stays healthy, he'll probably have a great season, and I feel like that also might be a dude that I might get, which I'm not necessarily happy about. But what are you going to do? Um, then we'll move on to the closer and reliever position, which got 299 votes. We've got Kenley Jansen, Andrew Miller, Craig Kimbrell, and Chad Green. Kenley Jansen wins with 38%, and Andrew Miller and Craig Kimbrell are, Kimbrell are tied at 27%, and Chad Green, uh, reliever for the Yankees, at 8%. Um, I totally agree with that. I feel like there's two schools of thought with drafting. If you you just wait and get your closers, you don't waste draft picks on those. I might give that a shot in one of the three leagues that I'm playing in. We'll see. I didn't get any top 10 relievers or closers last year. So that was an interesting scramble to find out who I should even pick up. Um, But I I feel like I've learned those lessons moving in. Um, But I decided to take the top four vote getters um, and and put them all against each other. And the final winner with 45% of the vote is... Jose Altuve, congrats, Jose Altuve. You've won nothing from me other than respect as a baseball player and a new contract. 151 million or 515, I can't remember. Sometimes I have a problem with reversing numbers. Congratulations, Jose Altuve. (laughs) You've changed the position of second base to a power position. Thank you for changing baseball a little bit. Um, and then I decided to mock up like a perfect fantasy draft based on the polls for y'all. So that would be starting pitcher Clayton Kershaw, Buster Posey at catcher, Joey Votto at first base, Jose Altuve was sec- at second base, Nolan Arenado at third, Francisco Lindor at shortstop, Marcel Ozuna and left field, Mike Trout in center, Giancarlo Stanton in right, and Kenley Jansen as your closer. I mean, that seems like a pretty winning lineup right there for me. Um, some other sneaky bargain picks that I wanted to mention are Matt Olson, Yasiel Puig, and my favorite, Chris Taylor. <laughs> if you don't know that I was going to mention Chris Taylor on a fantasy draft, you haven't been paying any attention. Um, I'm looking very much forward to playing fantasy baseball this season because I really do love it a lot. I love uh, trying to figure it out. It's an obsession of mine. <laughs> 
like I've told my friend Paul F. Tompkins, might be a problem. We'll see. We'll see if playing in three different leagues is is helpful or destructive. I'm not sure. The nice thing is I'm playing in three different platforms, so I can definitely keep it all very straight, and I have to have a lot of passwords, and I have to protect myself from Cambridge Analytica, although they probably have all of my information already because I was in college when Facebook started, so they definitely know (laughs) everything about me that I've ever done, thought, or looked at. Uh... But they'll know what my fantasy teams are like now. So let me know uh, if you're playing fantasy, what format you're playing in. I'm also going to do one of those stats leagues this time, which I'm really excited about. That's scary. Um, But overall, looking forward to it, trying to be very zen about these drafts that I've got coming up. Um, Let me know. Send me questions for the rosin bag. (laughs) Tweet at us at Three Swings Pod. And my Twitter is at Rhea Butcher. And the network's Twitter is at Forever Dog. Give us a follow, and we will be right back with a really awesome interview uh, with Baseball Stats Pro, Jen Mac Ramos, right after this. I know you're tired and you ain't sleeping well. I've got something to tell you guys. I found underwear that I really like. It's by Tomboy X, and they're fantastic. I wear them to play, you guessed it, baseball. They fit under tight baseball pants, and that is hard to find. I love their micro-modal style. It makes me sound weird because my <laughs> my northeastern Ohio re- regional accent it has a hard time saying the word modal. But I love wearing it, and I don't have to pronounce it to wear it, now do I? I love Tomboy X because they make underwear for all kinds of people. And you never really realize how important underwear is until you find the pair that fits you. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel like the person you've always wanted to be, which is somebody wearing cool underwear. See, it's time to stop wearing underwear that doesn't make you feel confident. You need to feel confident from underneath your outerwear out. You get it. You understand. So. From bikinis to briefs to boxer briefs, from trunks and boy shorts to soft bras, razorback bras, and swimwear in all kinds of basic colors, seasonal prints, brilliant colors, all their options come in extra small to 4X. And regardless of where you fall on the size or gender spectrum, Tomboy X offers amazing underwear that anybody, get it, feels comfortable in. You can go to TomboyX.com slash baseball right now and check out their special bundles and pack pricing. And Three Swings listeners get an extra 15% off with code BASEBALL. So again, that's code BASEBALL, very easy to remember, for an extra 15% off. Ditch whatever you're wearing for a pair of Tomboy X underwear. Go to TomboyX.com slash baseball right now and get some cool underwear that fits you. I know you're tired and you ain't sleeping well. Oh, welcome back to Three Swings. This is Rhea Butcher, your host, the only host, probably will always only be the host. (laughs) When would I be a guest on my own podcast? I won't be. But this segment is where I do have a guest on my podcast. And I'm really excited about this guest. Um, This is someone that I uh, found via Twitter, uh, similar to a friend of the show, 
Kendra James. Um, this person has been working in and around baseball for a long time, and I just really loved what they were doing. And then we actually met in real life at the Trailblazer series last year um, at the beginning of the season. Um, please welcome to the show Hardball Times contributor and podcaster, as well as baseball prospectus statistics intern, Jen Mac Ramos. Welcome to the show, Jen. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. Thanks for being on here. So glad we could get you on. Um, yeah. Yeah. So baseball. <laughs> we <laughs> love baseball. You've been working in baseball. I think the thing, the, the, where I was alerted to you, I'm trying to think of how you're supposed to say that, <laughs> like, I got a tweet in my timeline about you uh, working in the front office for the Sonoma Stompers. And that was, yeah. that was a couple seasons ago. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I I worked for them last uh I guess the um off season before the 2017 season just kind of getting them ready for the season and then uh went off and did my other stuff as well and you know trying to also do work to bring awareness to women in baseball and you know also non-binaries in baseball and trans people in baseball so it was it was an experience. <laughs> yeah, so that was like kind of your job with that team was like yeah, awareness was, and then also because you I mean you're like a you're a baseball prospective statistics intern and I read yeah. your bio on your website you like stats <laughs> so yeah. were you also working in stats and then that kind of like bleeding in and out of like these other sort of uh unwritten stats of like who's in baseball and who's not in baseball yeah I think it was a mix of that uh my primary job was there was mostly uh making sure sponsors got everything that they needed, helping out with tickets. Uh, I was essentially director of ticketing and accounts receivable and all of that stuff. And um, a lot of overlap also because in small indie ball teams, you just kind of, your title just overlaps with everything. So I was also doing a little bit of statistical stuff. Um, basically, jack of all trades. Totally. And so, so to anybody that's not familiar with like, as you called them, indie baseball leagues. What would be your, like, if you had a thesis statement about what the indie baseball league is or what it is to you, what what would you, how would you explain it to, like, just a listener that's that's only aware of, like, Major League Baseball? I would say it's professional baseball that has no affiliations or ties at all to Major League Baseball. Cool. So it's, like, its own, like, it lives up to the independent name. <laughs> Yeah. Where it exists outside of a major sort of franchise system, and uh, which then makes so much sense that you would be doing all those jobs because that's like basically what entrepreneurship is, right? Yeah. Where you're like, oh exactly. yeah, I, I, hey, look, I'm in the front office. I literally do everything that happens in this office <laughs> because yeah. there's three of us here. Um, but exactly. I, I mean, I gotta say, like, congrats to your hard work because. I don't think without you working for that team, I would have even been aware of that team and the existence yeah. of them. And I think so. And I, I, I'm a big fan of what they're doing and what you did there at that team and, and what they've done on and off the field. Like, I just uh, I think it's a, a powerful thing that that team's doing, like having a bunch of women on their team, <laughs> basically, mm -hmm. and uh, not being fully aware, it feels like, of how it could be interpreted as a stunt, but not like really taking any anything in about that kind of you know it just seems like yeah people are gonna say that but we're we're playing like actual athletes are playing for us so there's really no you know like with Stacy winning and everything was just like a very 
it's just cool to see all of that come to fruition, you know, and then to see um, an indie league team with a, a an LGBT night and actual uniforms and a hat, which I have one that have rainbows on them was just like, wow, this is this is great. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, uh, I don't know if you've read the book by Sam Miller and Ben Lindbergh. The only rule is that it has to work is that, mm. you know, just through looking at spreadsheets, they found a player who wanted to come out you know, as the first openly gay player in professional baseball. So they were very understanding of, you know, baseball as a culture and also what they needed to do to help, help, um, help Sean Conroy along to be comfortable in telling his story. Yeah, that's great. It's almost like, uh, sort of like a constitutional approach <laughs> that yeah. like the, the LGBT rights movement has, you know, sort of had to use like using gay marriage as like a foothold because like if you can point to the st- stats on the piece of paper, like you can't really argue with that. Like that, you know, like it's having both sides of the, um, uh, of the argument, the emotional side, and then also the on paper side because they both fit into each other. It's really fascinating. Yeah. I have not read that book yet, but, I'm going to be on tour alone very soon, so I'll definitely put it on my reading list. And every, uh, I'm trying to think of a nickname for the listeners of this podcast, and I feel like Swingers is maybe not a good one. What do you think, Jen? I think that might have a little too much uh, connotations. I, I feel like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, not everybody's into swing time music. I understand. So, like, yeah. it's probably not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that should be on the Three Swings uh, 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 reading list. And what was the title again? The only rule is it has to work. Uh, that's a great rule. So yep. let me ask you this, Jen. I want to go back like just a little bit further. So what is like what is your experience or like what was your path to baseball? Like when did you get into baseball? Who were you into? What was your team? Who got you into it? If anybody. So my story is wildly different than like the typical story of, you know, it got passed down to me from family and all of those things. Uh, I didn't get into baseball until I was in high school. I was about 16 and decided to watch it on a whim one year. <laughs> um, I was bored, didn't know what else to watch on TV. It was uh, 2007 and I was like, you know what? what if I just watch baseball? So I did that. I got sucked in completely. And um, that year, um, it was Rocky Red Sox in the World Series. And there was a guy from my hometown who not only lived in my hometown, but we went to the same elementary school. um, And he was playing for the Rockies. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. That's that's bonkers. Yeah. And like we were in the same like Facebook alumni group for uh, a while. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> it was like it only had like 100 people in it. But um, one yeah, of them so was like, in the World Series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's very so, cool. Yeah, he he was in the World Series. I took an interest in it because local guy don't really see much people from a small farming community in California, you know, pitching in the World Series. Sure. So, um, Took an interest in that. Got into it like so much. And I was so upset that by the time I got into baseball, it was October. And I was like, I have to wait until spring for this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's like uh, sort of a, a, a brutal sort of baptism into baseball. Yeah. Like get, so, like genuinely getting into it right at the postseason. Because most people like just get into it for the fun of the postseason at the end. But you were like, no, no, no. Like for real, I'm into it. And now it's going away. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. So 
what I did uh, in that off season was just I picked up baseball books. Um, and this was where my stats stuff comes into play is that I, as a teenager, was very, very much interested into stats and economics. And I turned down um, art school to be able to study economics in college. Um, so I picked up Moneyball and wow. I was just like, whoa, <laughs> I yeah. love this. Yeah. Started reading fan graphs and baseball prospectus on a daily basis. And I was just like, I'm in love with this. So what is it that can you what is it exactly that you're in love with? Do you think like th- what, like a feeling or a specific stat or something? No, I think it's more of a feeling of being able to figure out that um, being able to figure out that there's so many things that intertwine with baseball. Mm hmm. And knowing that I could just, you know, find different facets that I'm very interested in and, you know, connected to baseball one way or another. Yeah. So, like, what are some of those facets that that connect for you? Like history, for Uh one, very much interested in one of the things that I was interested in is like how baseball also helped with the civil rights movement with Jackie Robinson. Not only that, Roberto Clemente, Mm -hmm. Kurt Flood, finding, you know how all of that intersects and also writing about it from not just a fictional standpoint, but a nonfiction standpoint. Um, One of the earlier books that I picked up early into my baseball fandom was a book called Class A. Um, And it's a story just revolving around one season around the Class A Clinton Lumber Kings in Iowa. And it's just about the people, it's about the players, it's about the team, the community. And just looking at all of that kind of stuff was so interesting to me because, you know, you you have this thing on the field and you have so many different areas of interests that all can come back to baseball. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what I ultimately love about the game is it feels like something that is so affected by where and when and who it's played by. Um, and I think that's the case for other sports, but for whatever reason in the game of baseball that it, it, it's, it takes so long to play the game, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's requiring a lot of people to be involved to do it. Um, it just feels so much more evident, you know, and I, the thing I, I also like about baseball is kind of, I think what you're getting at where, you can like scour stats and you can like do all this predictability. You can look at all of those things, but at the same time, the one thing that is like statistically not going to happen can always happen. (laughs) And like, that's what I think I ultimately love about baseball. You know, it's like one rock in a weird spot in the infield, like then, and the ball goes into center field, you know, you can't really predict that with sabermetrics. Like it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's so many things at once. And I think that's yeah. what really I, what really like appeals to me. Yeah, and you know that's the thing that I've also noticed that a lot of sabermetricians are aware of. It's that you know even even with predictable stats like Pakoda and things like that, at the same time you can't predict baseball. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, it's kind of like to me the conversation that I mean this is happening in all of sports right now. I think because. Whatever happened in the past couple of years where sports, you know, we just turned over into a new generation or particular sports have been played for long enough that it's just like on a long enough timeline, things are just going to be completely different at some point. But it feels like it's all happening at once. Um, you know, like the Cubs winning the 
calves coming back from the thing. Like just every time we have a, a championship, there's just like bonkers stuff happening. Um, but the conversation around like momentum and there's like the camp that is like momentum is not a thing. And then the other camp that's like momentum is absolutely a thing. And like to me, like it has to be a thing if people are talking about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it can't not exist if people are acknowledging that it's existing. And that's not something that you can really provide a stat for. You know, it's like something intangible and like ephemeral in the world that is yeah like physics, but that you could never create a, a math problem to explain it. You know, it's just like. Magnets, how do they work? You know, that kind of a yeah. thing. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, sometimes I like to have fun with my, with statistics that I think one time in undergrad um, at this um, statistics website I was writing at at the time called um, Beyond the Box Score, I decided to come up with a very silly statistic called SCRAP. Uh-huh. Um, and SCRAP stood for, if I'm remembering correctly, um, self-contained replacement average player. <laughs> and it was literally supposed to be measuring the grittiness and the scrappiness of a guy like David, David Eckstein. Uh-huh. So I created a statistic that measures a player's grit and gamerness and <laughs> scrappiness. And yeah, so oh my God. I... Jen, you have to come watch me play baseball so you can give me my scrap statistic because I feel like that would be my one statistic that would be through the roof. (laughs) (laughs) I have a huge chip on my shoulder and I'm always working to get it off of my shoulder. So you understand. (laughs) I've got a high scrap rating. (laughs) My war is a little low. (laughs) But you're high in scrap. I'm high in scrap. I'm always high in scrap, I think. (laughs) Yeah. So... You're like just an all-around baseball person. Do you have a baseball team that is your team? Or do you just kind of like, I just enjoy the whole thing. I have players that I like. I have a couple teams. Where do you fall in that sort of fandom? I grew up a San Francisco Giants fan, um, being from Northern California. and And did that start before you got into baseball like late? Were you just kind of already sort of a... Giants fan by like region and then you got into the game more in high school or did yeah. you yeah I was a Giants fan by region grew up about two hours away from candlestick um and you know just kind of peripherally knew Barry Bonds of course thing, yeah, yeah. and JT Snow mm-hmm. and Jeff Kent but not really watching it I knew that you know Everyone was devastated because of 2002, but it wasn't until 2007 that I was just like, okay, Tim Lincecum exists. The Giants may be on an upswing. Maybe, maybe not, but Tim (laughs) Lincecum's cool. Right. Um, And yeah, so because I got into baseball in the playoffs in 2007, the Giants, of course, were not in it, but I was like, okay, I'm just going to pick up more, more Giants games to watch. Um, so after that, it was, uh, Tim Lincecum's to comes first Cy Young year. And I was just so invested in that. And they, I had a reason to watch. I had a reason to be mad at baseball. I had a reason <laughs> to have all these roller coaster of emotions that made me love the game even more. Oh yeah. I mean, it's just like, that's the last gasp when you like get hooked on a player. It will pull you right back, <laughs> back in so fast. Um, so yeah, that's great. 
Um, and you know, congrats on uh, seeing your team win a World Series. I literally don't know what that's like. Um, <laughs> probably never will. <laughs> Coming to terms with the fact that like it's just I feel like I'm the kiss of death for teams. I don't know. I know that that's giving myself a lot of power, and I understand I the mean, narcissism of that. But at the same time, it's sort of a self-flagellating nar- narcissism. Yeah, narcissism. That's what I, I mean, am—a narcissism. You understand. <laughs> I mean, if we were able to see the Cubs win in our lifetime, I feel like all bets are off. I don't know, Jen. Have you ever been to <laughs> Cleveland? And also, I don't really want them to win with that name or logo. You know, so it's Good like point. A, it's like a high complication rate for me. Can you figure out a stat for that? I feel like <laughs> if you cross-reference scrap with whatever the like high concentration yeah. rate of con- conflict is, you're just going to be like, oh, you're like a burnt out match is what you are with a little fizzle <laughs> of smoke over your head. <laughs> but yeah I mean I just don't know what that feeling is like I honestly feel like the Royals winning the World Series is the closest I've ever been to having a, a feeling of like joy around a team winning you know because uh, they're like a small town team that didn't win for 30 years um, yeah which is a short amount of time to be quite honest <laughs> yeah Um. so we met in real life at the Trailblazer Series um, which is a, a cool thing that the MLB is putting on and they're doing it again this year. Should have wrote down the ne- dates, but I didn't. I think it's the weekend of the 14th um, in Los Angeles. Yes. And if you're around here uh, in Lo- the Los Angeles area, you should definitely go. It's like it's free to attend and like very fun. And I was walking up to the complex and just looked around and realized I was looking at a field of like little girls and probably non-binary kids and like you know uh playing baseball together and i like i was so taken aback by it (laughs) like i almost started crying which i know is uh, a very silly thing but at the same time i was just like you you, uh, never do i see this you know like you just don't you don't see six or eight fields full of uh you know girls and little non-binary kids playing baseball together and it was just a really great feeling and you were there with a radar gun which was pretty cool yeah. Oh, yeah. It's April 12th through the 16th. And uh, it's at Major League Baseball's Compton Youth Academy in Compton, California. Uh, and there are some gals from the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League there. And I think Stacey Piazgino was there. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you were there uh, with a the radar no. gun. Thank you. Piag- See, I've only read it. This is my problem. I've never heard anybody say it. Could you say it one more time for me, Jen? Piagno. Piagno. There we go. I've been corrected and I'm very happy about it. Um, but yeah, did you have a good experience going to that? Like, how did you feel about the the Trailblazer series and, and what that's doing? Yeah, for me, it was just like I had heard that there were a lot of girls playing baseball and just kind of defying all odds. And to actually see it in person, I was just incredibly amazed. And I just remember, you know, telling you know and talking to all these girls some of them i still talk to today or just like you know what what can i do to help you you know find find your journey to maybe professional baseball one day and it also left me a little sad because i know that you know some of these girls is mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You know, their goals are not to play professional baseball. They think that the most that they can do is, you know, maybe one day join Team USA, women's uh, national baseball team, and not necessarily think like, oh, I once... I might have a chance one day to play um, professional affiliated baseball. Right. I think that's something that is hard to express to people when we talk about like, specifically, I'm going to use binary terms because we're talking about a binary system, (laughs) which is, uh, you know, sports in general, um, that when we talk about like girls not being able to see themselves playing professionally, it's such a catch-22 because if you look at something like basketball, there is a WNBA, but you can't really make a... Only a handful of those women have made like an actual career out of that. Like a lot of those women have to have other jobs and they can't, you know, they're they're not sustaining themselves off of like sponsorships and, and that. And then you look at baseball where it's a sport where girls are essentially like really pushed, if not just downright kicked out of the sport and into another sport when they hit a particular age, regardless of their skill level. Um, and then you put that on a kid who's doing something. I, I can't imagine them thinking like, yeah, I'll play in the major leagues because you also then have to think I'll be the first one to play in the major leagues. And like that as a mentality is not the same as, you know, a little boy going like, I might play in the major leagues one day because his reality while still one in a million, like the little girl's reality of playing in the major leagues one day is what one in a trillion, (laughs) you know, like actually getting to that point and being able to do it. And this is all regardless of skill set, And it's all just, um, cultural, which is what's so wild to me that like, you know, people are always asking the question, will a woman play in the major leagues, but we never go any further than that and look at like, um, how how are the paths created to make that actually happen? And you have to have numbers, you know? Um, yeah. And there's just, there are numbers, but we, we aren't like cultivating those numbers, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, totally. You know, I think it's just, you know, there's, it's not, it's all, it's a lot that, you know, there aren't these opportunities, but we're also not giving people opportunities to see this representation and it just creates a whole web of problems (laughs) that just trickle down to these little kids getting their dreams crushed for no real reason yeah or never cultivating the dream to begin with because yes it it isn't even a possibility so why would you think you could do the thing you know like every kid has to think they're going to be the one that does it it's yeah, it's so it's so complicated, you know, like, I mean, I didn't even get to play baseball because, you know, my family like didn't understand what organized sports, how they worked. And then also because like girls didn't really play in the little leagues in my neighborhood. And like, it's like so complicated. It's like, I, I don't know. I have no idea if I would have been good at baseball. Um, I'm like kind of good at baseball now. So I feel like had I had, you know, like coaching or whatever, I would have been all right at baseball. But you know, it's a cultural thing that's just keeping people out of it, um, which is just it's bonkers to me, um, especially yeah. given that we have like this movie that everybody is like, which I love that everybody's like, oh, this movie's so great. Moving on. You know, like <laughs> there's just like uh, no conversation around it. And then but I, I am grateful for the Internet for this reason, because um, it is, you know, usually a, a disgusting hellscape for most days but then at the same time you find other people like we found each other and then like uh 
sports journalists that focus on like women's sports and people saying like, look, the reason why people aren't watching women's sports is that not because they don't want to. It's because they're not accessible. You know, you're not. Yeah. put. I mean, I was I happened to watch uh, the Xavier game la- uh, two nights ago. And like, you know, they're, the men's basketball tournament is on like seven different channels. And then they're mm-hmm. like, check into the WN or the WNCAA women's tournament on NCAA.com. Like, it's like not even on television. Like, you have to watch it on your computer. And like, if you just put some games on, people would watch it. But they don't want to yeah, put the games like, on because they say nobody watches it. But the games aren't on for anybody to watch it. So, of course, you have that stat, you know? Yeah, it's like you have to find ESPN 8, the Ocho, just to find all these things. <laughs> right. And that's the frustrating part. It's not accessible. And, like, one of the things that I was thinking about is how Hillary Knight is going to go play in Montreal after coming off a gold medal hockey win for USA in the Olympics. And there's no way for anyone to watch her right. play in the States. Yeah, you have to go to Canada where they play women's hockey on televisions at the airport because they're like, yeah. we love hockey. <laughs> that's all that matters. Um, yeah, I, that's bonkers. Uh, but I, I do think like women's hockey is really elevating up to this because I think for a while it's been basketball, basketball, basketball. And I, I'm I'm really liking like how how what a breadth of like just women's athleticism is being talked about and shown. And like, clearly there's people that are into it with the Olympics, both summer and winter, really gaining a lot of steam for specific individuals. And then that those individuals being very representative of like an entire sport and being focused on like sort of bringing that to a wider audience is like, it's, it's pretty great. And I'm hoping that it, you know, keeps going. Um, yeah. And I, I was briefly reading your bio on your website, and I have to say, like, I really love the way that you uh, explained essentially what you're trying to do in sports, but specifically in baseball, which is to talk about statistics and analytics, but while also including n- not just identity and, um, you know, uh identity and, and representation, but also to speak from your own position of identity and, and representation. I really love the way you put that. And I was wondering if you could like talk about what that's been like or why you wanted to do that in your career. I find that really interesting. Yeah. So I think a piece that I recently wrote that kind of exemplifies everything that my goal is as a writer recently was uh, my love for Tim Lincecum, which you know, not only did it help me foster my love for baseball even more, but connected me to my Filipino identity and just exploring that a little bit more and how the two connected. Um, and just giving that experience, like sharing my own experience with other people who might not have been able to communicate their own feelings about identity and diaspora and also being a baseball fan and seeing themselves on the field and having that representation, it's been something that's important to me as a first generation American, um, not really seeing many Filipinos, you know, in media growing up. And then here comes Tim Lincecum, who's half Filipino and, you know, acknowledges that he has a lot of Filipino fans and, you know, connecting with that. And not only that, the Giants had two Filipinos on the team in 2008, uh, Gino Espinelli and Lincecum. And that was just mind blowing for me at the time. And I just wanted to be able to write about my experiences with that 
And a lot of people who are of, you know, have Asian heritage, especially Filipino heritage, were, were messaging me like, I really resonated with your article a lot. You hit the nail on the head. And all of that was like, okay, this is why I'm doing it is for, for people to be able to connect with their feelings and their emotions and identity and also being able to just identify with things that people might not be able to read themselves if, you know, if someone wasn't out there to write it. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, and we will totally share that article that you wrote. Um, I feel like it's so powerful to find yourself in in things, you know, reflected back and in, you know, media and entertainment, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that, you know, there's there's a lot of like bristling at that right now because people you know, just want everybody to be quiet and so that they can just shout at everybody all the time. But it's, I mean, it's like when I, I remember watching baseball a couple seasons ago and it was late in the season. So there were, you know, pitchers coming up to like, you know, test out in the majors and stuff. And I think it was Oakland brought up a pitcher and they were like, he's from the University of Akron. And I was like, losing my mind just because that guy's from like just the same neighborhood that I'm from. You know what I mean? And like, Cause then you just are like, Oh, this guy. Oh, that's cool. Like we have something in common. And like, then when you get down to, um, actual like individuality and also, you know, um, uh, not as, as represented groups of people, like it's so powerful. I mean, you, you mentioned Roberto Clemente before and Jackie Robinson, like baseball has a very long history of this. And, uh, it, that, sorry to say this to a Giants fan, but the, um, Fernando Mania <laughs> episode yeah. of 30 for 30. Look, I understand what I'm walking into by bringing up the Dodgers in, in your presence. I apologize. <laughs> I, I actually have, I've never had any ill will towards the Dodgers for some reason. Oh my God. I think you might be the only Giants fan I've ever I met. Think it's because when I was growing <laughs> up, my, my anger was more towards the Angels because of 2002. Sure. And that happened when I was, I was about like 10 when that happened. Perfect timing. So, like, all, all my hatred was like, I hate the angels. Oh, I that's hate perfect. the angels. Oh, thank God. So- <laughs> we can actually have a conversation with each other. <laughs> cause I mean, you know, I'm like late to, to liking the Dodgers. Cause like, yeah. I, but anytime somebody gives me shit for liking the Dodgers, I'm like, do you know what my other option is? Like, can yeah. we, can we stop here, please? <laughs> cause like, I don't think you understand. Um, yeah. but yeah, the Fernando, I mean, that just reminds me of, of that and what was going on there because like, the Dodgers are complicated, but then I was in Mexico a couple weeks ago and I had a Dodgers hat on and like so many people were like, Dodgers, like so excited. It's like, well, this is also true. You know, like it's, there are bad parts of it, but then also it makes people happy. So it's, you know, everything is complicated. There's no just one answer for everything. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a really powerful thing. And then I think, you know, when you start really thinking about that, you can find yourself in these players, but there's always, uh, and this, it, this is just for me. There is always that moment where I'm like, yeah, but that's not me. Cause it's all men, <laughs> you know, like yeah. at a certain point. And, you know, I talked on my last episode about Josh Donaldson tweeting about like the Saturdays are for the boys versus the international women's day or whatever. And it's like, I I've been thinking about that ever since I recorded that episode that it's really just like, you just have to keep reminding us, don't you? You just like have to keep reminding us that we're not part of the thing. Like, I understand that you think you're just hanging out with your friends on a particular day, but doing that on that day is like, yeah, just remember you're not a part of this, you know? Yeah. And like, that's, uh, you know, there are players that I don't think are like that. And, but the overall theme is like, 
we're we're always like there, but there. Even when I go to games and stuff, I always feel like there's always a moment where I'm going to be reminded that I'm not welcome in this space. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's what I don't know. What I I don't know how much I could do to change it, but like. There's so many of us that just love the game so much that we just want to be there. You know, we don't want to yeah. take anything. We just want to be there and sit in a seat and eat some popcorn or whatever we like and watch a baseball game. You know? Yeah. I, I think also that I've, because I've been going to less and less major league games and more minor league games, yeah. just because I grew up near the Fresno Grizzlies and the Modesto Nuts and the Stockton Ports and Visalia Rawhide. And they have so much better names. You know, it's just like, <laughs> way better names than major league baseball (laughs) but like growing up around those teams and because you know i grew up near yosemite and it's just so much easier for me to get to a fresno game or modesto game than it is to go to san francisco or oakland i just kind of park myself at the ballpark there um all the time either if it's you know as a fan or reporting you know and i've gotten to know the entire california league so well that you know, I've seen I've seen the progression of changes being made in the league that, you know, it's it's become more more friendly for LGBTQ and women and people of color that, you know, sometimes I would just, you know, chat with front office staff and because they know I'm openly queer, openly mm-hmm. non-binary, sometimes they ask like, hey, how can we make this space better for fans like you? Yeah, that's awesome. And it just made me more appreciative of how connected minor league baseball tries to be to the community and not make, not trying to exclude anyone. So even, even on a smaller scale like that, you know, sometimes you'll just get like a thousand people on a weeknight there. It's still, it's still baseball. It's guys you see who go up to the major leagues one day and there is just this, this more, this bigger feeling of connectedness that I don't think I really felt when I'd walk into AT&T Park or the Coliseum. And it's more of a personal experience. And I don't know if it's just because I'm such a minor league stalwart that I'm (laughs) there when batting practice starts. um, And that literally so many people in front offices are like, oh, hey, haven't seen you around here for a while. Good to see you again. (laughs) Um, But just knowing that there are these you know, front office people who are aware of what I'm also doing. And we have conversations back and forth of like, what can we do to make this better for everyone? Um, It just, you know, it means a lot to me also that they're, they're aware of what's going on and, you know, just, just the efforts being put in, in the league has been very great. Oh, totally. I mean, Thank you for turning my frown upside down, Jen, because that's exactly what I needed to hear. I mean, so what you're telling me is trickle down baseball economics does not work. (laughs) It's a grassroots kind of a thing because that's what half of the field is made up of. I understand. Um, That's really great news. Uh, It's great to hear when people are like, yeah, we want more fans. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like just understanding that that means more fans, you know, yeah. um, to be like, how can we make it more comfortable for more people? Um, yeah, you'll have more people at the ballpark if they know they can come to the ballpark. That's very cool. So yeah. everybody listening, if there's a minor league team, go check them out for sure. Um, if yeah, you're in Akron, go check out the Akron Rubber Ducks, which I think is a amazing team name. <laughs> 
And I also love that there's like a rubber tire uh-huh. gradient on the duck itself. On the duck it's itself. Amazing, an amazing logo. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Their previous um, logo uh, was also pretty amazing. The Akron Arrows, not the the weapon, but just the the idea of aerospace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty fantastic. I think also because minor leagues, you know, part of their goal is to be entrenched in the community. They're also much more willing to listen to fans. And it's not about, you know, the almighty dollar, but really how can we keep you to come back to the stadium? And I think that's something that kind of gets lost a little bit in major league baseball. Uh, I, yeah, I could not agree with you more. They're like so. we've we've already sold these luxury suites. We don't really care if you come back. Yeah, <laughs> we don't care if the stadium is empty. But have the tickets been paid for? Great. Who cares? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's fantastic. I guess I just have uh, just one more thing I want to talk to you about, and then I'll, I'll let you get back to your uh, baseball day because I'm sure you got tons of stats you got to grind through. <laughs> I just imagine you with like a banker's visor, you know, and like one of those green lights, and then just yeah. like a Morse code thing that you're just like. Sell, sell, swing, run, hold. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's mostly just me trying to get cats away from my keyboard <laughs> sure. while I'm trying to run some numbers. And Absolutely. It's like, okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> then you're like, no, not the numbers. Numbers. Is your cat named Numbers? You should name your cat Numbers. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned that you're openly queer and openly non-binary. Those are two things that I am also, Jen. We have so much in common. Um, so what has that been like for you? Is that something that's like recent? Um, how did you like find that part of yourself? Uh, you know, because for me, I, it's a recent thing feeling as though I am a non-binary person. So I've been kind of slowly uh, discussing that over time. Um, and for me, it felt like I found clothes that finally fit a little bit, you know, where I was just kind of like, I don't know what I am, you know, like being very open about everything. But then finding that sort of words was like, oh, yeah, that's what I am. Um, so what was your experience like? Yeah. So for me, like throughout high school, I knew um, my sexuality was that I'm I'm not straight. Like I knew that <laughs> right. immediately in high school. And I was like, yeah, I'm totally not straight. I'm just going to own this. And when I went yeah. off to college, I was like, you know, I'm either pan or bi, but definitely not straight. Right, exactly. Um, so I knew that much about myself. Um, but I'd always been struggling with gender my entire life because I'd always only learned of the binary. I didn't know that there was this like in between that's similar to bi and pan, but with gender. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really figure out my identity until I was about 23. Uh, I was 2015 when I found out. And then when I started transitioning to uh, they, them pronouns from she, her, I was like, this, this just feels like me. Totally. And knowing like, while I'm also the kind of person who's like, okay, I don't really care what you identify as. I'm still going to respect you as a person. For me personally, it's like knowing that label just felt made me feel more whole. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's the same way. And, you know, I definitely do not want to discredit the importance of being able to label yourself. You know, I just think that in the grand scheme of things, just respect everyone. But for my own personal, like, peace of mind, I just felt so much better knowing, okay, this explains all the wrestling feelings that I have had growing up. Not really sure if, you know, 
if I identified as a woman or if I identified as a man, I just felt something in between. And then I discovered um, the term gender fluid Mm -hmm. and just kind of like being able to like understand that gender is a spectrum. And sometimes you might feel um, more male than female one day or just like a gender one day or just like, you know, just the fluidity of it all. And I was just like, I feel like I'm home. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I, that was that was how I felt when I under when I finally understood the concept. I was like, "This is me." Absolutely, I think that's you know, I think that's something that's so hard to express when we're having these conversations, like, uh, you know, sort of publicly or like on the internet where people can't hear the tone of voice or see somebody's face when they're saying things. So often, these like identities that people are discovering and being open about because they know number one, other people might be confused about these things. And when somebody says something and you can see yourself in it, similar to your Lincecum article, you can more uh, grab onto it and go like, oh yeah, you're right. I didn't see this. And I, I relate to this, you know? And then also it's, um, it's, it's you saying that publicly is like having people witness you and you feeling like, uh, more whole and like more accomplished isn't the word I'm like grasping for the word now. But when you, <laughs> when you say the things that, that you realize about yourself, it's like coming out, you know, the the coming out thing. It isn't actually for everybody else. It's for the person that's saying like, hey, I'm gay. And so it, it always bothered me when people would be like, we know. And it's like, shut up for two seconds. This person is like, it's taken them a long time to get to this. And like, they're coming out a, a, about whatever about themselves, you know, non-binary, whatever the thing is. And like, it's actually your job to just be like, oh, awesome. That's very cool. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I think that... um it's not so much about, like I said, about the other people, because like you're identifying as non-binary, my identifying as non-binary and using they, them pronouns literally means nothing about someone else using she, her or he, him. All that it means is this is what feels right for me. You know, yeah. like I'm not saying you need to identify some different way and like that's it. I'm just talking about myself. Like I'm not talking about like, and, and I personally believe that just generally using they, them pronouns, like, uh, hit checks off a lot of boxes in terms of being like respectful to other human beings that you don't know. Whereas like it knocks out like the preference for like the male gender in all these words that we use, like, like saying postman or something. If you say post office, postal worker or whatever, it's, it's so much easier that's the they them of jobs, you know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. if you say they them to about a stranger that you're not even talking about, like it's so much more respectful to just be like, oh, they walked over there. Like you're not inaccurate, you know what I mean? Like that's the only time that I think like I'm ever talking about other people using it. But I, f- I feel like people get so threatened of what they've they've come to know and accept about themselves when someone mm, comes out about their accepting of something different than that, and it, it's. It's just an in, it's a it's a interesting conversation I feel like to be in right now. Like we're all sort of like learning all this stuff about each other culturally a little bit and I think that um it's there's a lot of like growing pains and stuff, but I do really think that everybody's kind of starting to understand each other. I think it takes a long time because there's a lot of people on this planet. <laughs> but yeah. I think, you know, as p- individuals start to understand that about themselves, like we can start to understand that about each other. Um it's a wealth of knowledge by including people. 100%. So I couldn't agree with you more, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for being on the show. I'm so glad you were able to make it. And it's been so wonderful talking to you. And I can't wait to see what you do this season. So exciting. Thank thank you. And thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Check out Jen on the internet and on her website. 
We'll have all that info- information up for you in the footnotes. Thanks again, Jen. Have a great one. Thanks, you too. Bye. I don't know what that even means. Now I just want you in my arms again. And we can search each other's dreams. I know you're tired and you ain't sleeping well. Forever. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.